You only have one life to live, so get the most out of it. On Good Life, Great Life, join me, Brian Highfield, and my guests as we share success stories, habits, mindsets, and lessons learned by successful people. These lessons are not taught in schools, but are critical for getting ahead in life. Whether you want a successful business or career, optimal health, or a lifestyle that most people just dream of, Good Life, Great Life has you covered. After retiring from a successful corporate career in my 40s, I founded multi-million dollar businesses in the sports and healthcare arenas. Now, I help everyday people maximize their lives and speak regularly at seminars, on podcasts, and radio shows to share principles on the topics of health, wealth, and happiness. Don't let a good life get in the way of a great life. Join me today on Good Life, Great Life. Well, welcome to another episode of Good Life, Great Life. And today we have with us Whitney Hill. Whitney is the co-founder and CEO of SnapADU. Welcome to the program, Whitney. Thanks, Brian. Delighted to be here. Awesome. Well, we want to get to know you a little bit. So can you describe just a little bit about your background and what led you to on the path to be an entrepreneur and ultimately the co-founder of SnapADU? Absolutely. I started out with about 10 years in corporate America in operations management, management consulting, always had the entrepreneurial spirit, but felt like I didn't know what I wanted to do yet. So tried to get a lot of general management experience. And along the way, found that I had um, a passion for real estate and design. So when I had the opportunity, I left consulting to start out on my own doing real estate investing then got some exposure to general contracting through one of my business partners. Um, also moved out to California during this process around the same time that California was passing regulation changes that made it much easier to build an accessory dwelling unit, also known as an ADU or a granny flat, guest house, casita. And uh, that's one of the solutions for the housing shortage that legislators have come up with. So it's much easier to build them. And as I was seeing this regulation happening, I knew that if that was no longer a hurdle, um, getting these things permitted, then the next bottleneck was going to be contracting capacity. So kept my eyes and ears open, came across uh, a, a couple of folks talking in a coffee shop where I was you know, sitting doing my work on my existing business, heard somebody talking about ADUs and was thinking, oh man, I should go chat with them about this. Um, didn't muster up the courage to do it and they walked away. Um, but half an hour later, I saw them walk back by. I was like, oh, this is my chance. I have to get up and do it. So made the introduction. Um, one of those gentlemen introduced me to my now um, co-founder, Mike Moore, who had been a general contractor for you know, a decade out here and had grown up in construction. So our skill sets merged really beautifully to create Snap ADU, where um, I was leading the business development and tech side while Mike was building out our construction side. So we've grown into a $15 million business in about two years. We actually met the day before COVID <laughs> and we currently have 50 ADUs in progress in all across San Diego, all across San Diego. All right. So we got to satisfy people's uh, curiosity at ADU. Kind of described it as kind of that granny flat. Um, so how, do, how does that all work and, and how did the regulations change allow that to really um, proliferate there in the San Diego area? An ADU can be built in the state of California on any residential property that has an existing primary home. And so these ADUs can be anywhere from 100 to 1200 square feet. You can convert existing space like a garage, which actually makes a nice studio or one bedroom, or you can build, you know, two story, three bedroom, two bath unit in the back that's as big as your main house. 
So uh, the regulations reduced the, the lot size requirements. There's no lot size minimum. The setbacks were reduced to just four feet from that back and side uh, property line, which means that a lot more properties can fit a unit um, on, their, on their property. And we see about half of our clients are building these for their family members, whether that's an aging relative or maybe um, a young adult who can't afford the housing market so they can you know, move into the ADU, or people are building them for rentals and um, supplementing their mortgage with it. So we see people using them for all different kinds of uses and then flexing that over time. Wow. Um, so, Dan, you said you were you were in corporate America for for a while too, and and so you had that entrepreneurial bug in you. But what what were some of the things you were experiencing or maybe feeling that really said this corporate gig isn't for me? I think for me, I was someone who always um, gave one hundred and ten percent. I don't have it in me um, to do you know C plus job, yeah. <laughs> which meant I was always working a lot, and there's often an upper limit on what you're going to see and what you're going to get out of that. So if I was going to work that hard and um, you know, put in that kind of time and effort, I wanted it to be something that I was super passionate about. And I did get to work on projects and work with people that were fantastic um, at Bain and Company. But at the end of the day, there was you know, enough in there that was not my jam yeah. <laughs> that I knew I needed to, to find something that I was passionate about. And I think that you know, once you find that, again, it sounds so cliche, but it doesn't feel like work when you enjoy yeah. it. And that's certainly how I feel about what I'm doing now, even though I'm working a lot, it feels like uh, what I want to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think I experienced something similar because I felt, you know, I, I I was working for a small company and then I got bought by a much larger company. And then I just felt like I was, I was a number. I wasn't really contributing anything there, even though they were paying me a lot of money. It's just, I didn't feel like I was making a difference. And that really, and, and that, and the fact that I kept looking ahead saying, okay, I'm, I can either stay here for 40 to 50 years, or I can do something else that I'm more passionate about. So I think I had a similar experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think also if you have a diverse skill set that you feel like you can't fully take advantage of, that can be another factor. So I found that, you know, all the different experiences I'd had up to that point, even like running um, a, a singing group in college as a small business, like all those little pieces added up to now building Snap and knowing what needs to happen. So if you aren't sure what your own jam can be, there's so much value in working for best in class type companies where you can pick up that skill set and then later, you know, you're off to the races and applying it. Yeah. Talk about that moment again when, um, so you, you saw your future partner and you're like, okay, now's my chance. And, and, uh, and you say the conversation, I mean, there was some, I, and I, 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 I want to bring that up because I think there's a moment like that. in all of us where we have an opportunity in front of us and fear gets in the way and we don't take action. We have regret, but you, you, uh, ha had the courage to go and, and, uh, and say something right away and overcome that fear. Can you talk about that experience a little bit? Absolutely. I think it's the mentality of what do I have to lose? What's yeah. the worst that can happen? And I am really an introvert by nature. So those situations always make me a little anxious. Um, but recognizing that, you know, if everyone is faking it. Let's be real. Like no one is truly as expert as you imagine. And so once that gap feels narrower, I think it's also less intimidating. So just being able to walk in there and 
you know, approach it knowing that like this person probably, you know, felt like you did not that long ago, it can take down some of that barrier. Um, and the other thing is not pretending to be an expert takes off some of the pressure. So being honest about, you know, this is where I am. This is what yeah. my skills are. This is what I don't know how to do. That can help you get in touch with the people that you need to, to kind of bring that whole package together. And that's where with, with my partner, and it was actually that person in the coffee shop who introduced me to the partner. Uh. So that's the other thing. You never know where these conversations might lead. Um, so you're expanding into their network too, when you have those conversations. Um, but I think being willing and, and ready to assess what you're great at and what, um, you could use help with is important in thinking about who might be a good person to partner with. Yeah. That's, uh, and you also bring up networking as, as kind of led to that. And, and that's so important for an entrepreneur. Absolutely. And I was somebody who did not like networking. Again, the introvert thing, I felt like I didn't have a lot to add to the conversation. But once you start getting excited about a topic, um, it becomes much more natural. It doesn't feel like you're forced, you're being forced to network or like you're even networking. It just feels yeah. like you're having an interesting conversation. And once I got to that point, these conversations became much more um, fluid. Yeah. And, and, and I can totally identify as you're talking about people aren't the experts they are, because, you know, one, one thing that I do and I teach people to do is because uh, my, my field is healthcare and talking to doctors and I'm, I'm not a doctor, I, uh, not a PhD or an MD, but we specialize in, in, in certain areas that we train these doctors and it can be intimidating because they are a doctor, they've, they've gone to, to medical school, but uh, I keep reminding people like, you know more about this specific area than, than they do. They have general knowledge, but you are an expert in this and encourage people to kind of overcome that feel so I can that overcome that fear so I can really identify uh, that. And it's funny you talk about being an introvert as well, because uh, I, I feel like I'm introverted and <laughs> some of the most successful entrepreneurs I personally know are the same way. What, do you think there's something to that? <laughs> Could be. I would say the introverts have maybe more time on their hands to go figure out what's going on behind the scenes because we're not necessarily gravitating to that group. <laughs> so for me, it's always been like, oh, I'm going to dive into the data and really understand this. So I think there is something to be said for that. Um, and then I also think it's about, like I said, finding the complementary type personality where, um, you know, it might not be another introvert that's going to be the best match. I think I've made that mistake where I've tried to partner up with somebody who was almost too similar and in that way, you don't really fill in the gaps. It's yeah. like you still have this blinding gap <laughs> that you both are not good at. Um, so that's kind of another um, thing I've learned over time. It's like getting comfortable operating with different personality types that can bring something to the table that you can't. Yeah. So what do you think are, are some really traits that yeah, you have or maybe you, you developed or learned that has helped you gain success uh, as an entrepreneur? Sure. Just re I'll reiterate, being nerdy <laughs> has been very helpful. <laughs> You know, being willing to dive in um, to, to the tech, to the Excel, to really understanding the numbers when other people just won't do it or try to outsource it before they really know enough to, to get the right person in place to do it. That's been a huge part of the success. Um, I would also say um, I have an integrative approach to looking at a problem. And that could be because of the you know, 10 years spent looking at business strategy and operations and marketing and organizations, my brain automatically goes to how is this going to affect the, the broader company? So that I think helps kind of put things into context where you're not like missing the forest for the trees, so to speak. Um, and I would also say that thinking of things in a collaborative way versus 
kind of the zero sum mentality that often businesses will fall into where, oh, we're, you know, very secretive with our information. I don't want to talk to my competitors. I don't want to let them in on uh, the secret sauce. We've really thrown that to the, to the wind. Um, we put all of our information on our website, um, pricing, floor plans, everything we've learned about the city and the regulations. And I've reached out to, you know, 80% of the big players in this space, just have a conversation and figure out how we can help each other. Because frankly, if you're appropriately targeted in your niche as a company, there's so many different aspects here where you're not really competing full on with somebody else. You might have some dimensions in common. Mm -hmm. You don't really have to like, you know, focus just on that, but focus on the pieces where you can help each other. Because there's almost always some play, unless you're like truly identical. And again, that's just rare. Um, and then I think the other thing is there's so much to be said for like networking, like we mentioned, you never know who they're going to introduce you to or what gap, you know, they might help you fill. They happen to know somebody who's looking for a job. It's just led to so many amazing conversations by being open to talking to other people in the space. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's interesting that you brought up collaboration. Cause I think that's, um, I think that's a key concept that a lot of people, um, miss as being an entrepreneur because they feel like, okay, I'm starting this business. And I, and like you said, you got to put walls up and you got to keep people out and, and you actually succeed better when you collaborate with, with others. Totally. And it's also, it's, it's easier. You're not worrying about, you know, uh, keeping this information, um, close to the vest. It just, it makes day to day less stressful to, to be open and honest. And in the end, I can't think of a single situation where I've regretted sharing information. It's always, you know, either turned out well or just neutral. I've not had an experience where I'm like, Oh man, I shared too much. Yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, what are, did you have a mentor along the way here or maybe several mentors? I would say so. Um, I was fortunate to work for some incredible managers along the way. Um, and, you know, some of those uh, mentors just pushed me to look at things differently than I would have. Um, perhaps again, more integrated, more expansive. I remember one of my first managers um, working at a supply company, which is where I went after college, um, doing kind of an operations management um, program, rotating through different departments. Um, one of my first managers there, uh, within a couple of weeks starting, and I'm like 22, you know, he asked me, Whitney, what do you want to be remembered for after you leave McMaster Carr? Um, and at the time, that just felt so ridiculous that yeah. I could have some kind of an impact that anyone would even care. But from then on, I was looking at it differently. Um, you know, I, it made, made it seem possible that I might have that kind of an impact. Um, other mentors that I can think of then um, just pushed me to... Uh, you know, stretch beyond perhaps what was my comfort level. Cause I'm somebody who likes to really master something before I feel confident talking about it. So mentors who were able to put me out in front of a group, allow me to take the credit, put me on the spot to do that versus, you know, keeping me in the back pocket to do the data crunching, but then they take the credit. I had some amazing managers who were comfortable enough to recognize the people, to give them that band, that, that, um, say and bandwidth over their own work that again inspiring me to do more than I might have otherwise so I think now that I have you know employees working for for us I try to keep that in mind too it's like how can you unlock discretionary effort from your employees how can you give them the responsibility the tools um the, the what they need to push the company further than you could by yourself or that you could by micromanaging them how do you unlock their potential so that you can all grow more than you would otherwise no, and yeah, that's that's uh, um, um, re really great stuff. What? Um, tell me about 
I want to I want to understand uh, or, or learn more about your lifestyle. And, and I say this because entrepreneurs are doing this because uh, a lot of times because they want to have more control, more free time, more uh, fulfillment in what they're doing and, and chasing their passion and things like that. So can you talk about how, how has your lifestyle changed when you made that shift from an employee to being a business owner? Sure. I, I think I mentioned already, I would not say the hours went down. Yeah. <laughs> I will still work the crazy, the crazy weeks, you know, hitting 60, 70 hours, but it's on my own terms. And I have two young children, they were nine and seven. And I started, um, you know, I, I kind of left corporate America when they were two and four. So parenting was a huge thing. And I knew I needed flexibility around that. So I think having your own jam does allow you to create more of your own boundaries, your own rules. And so as we've built out Snap, so my partner, Mike, also has three young children. So very important for us that we would be able to go spend time with our families and have kind of off hours. At the same time, I would not say that work-life balance is something mm-hmm. that I prescribe to. It's For me, it's more of an integrative experience. Because again, like I said, I like work. Um, a lot of my close friends are also somehow working in this space. I maybe met, through, met them through work. And that, I mean, we talk about work when we're hanging out. Um, a lot of you know my closest friends are also in the space. So for me, it's like more of an integrative experience. I'm never really fully checked out. And I don't mind that though, because it gives me the freedom to walk away from my desk. Like, you know, I might be on the road going to a national park, but I'm keeping up on whatever I need to, because we've designed our company to be run remotely. Mm. So when we, you know, again, we met the day before um, COVID, it was March, Mm -hmm. Friday the 13th, (laughs) as they're shutting down America around us. Thank goodness we took that meeting. Um, So we really built everything in that virtual mindset. And now as people have gone back, We've decided we don't need an office. We have 16 employees. We do not have an office space. We all work remotely Mm. uh, because that was a value that was important to us. So I think it's about like being true to what what matters and then setting those boundaries. So for instance, I turned down events. Like I'm not willing to go do in-person events on the weekends because that is when I try to, for the most part, just, you know, uh, take big swaths of time where I'm just going to hang out with my kids. I'm not going to check email and I don't want to be tied to something like that. So I think it's about setting boundaries that you maybe couldn't before when you were beholden with manager. That said, even for folks who haven't made the jump, I think we underestimate how we can set boundaries um, in the workplace and we just don't because we're nervous about it. Um, but people don't need to always know where you are. I had a manager tell me that in consulting, they're like, tell someone you have an appointment. They don't need to know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true. As long as you're getting your work done, I think you can get a lot more leeway there, whether you're working for yourself or someone else. Awesome. So what's the next big thing for you and Snap to you? What's, what's, what's really your, your focus and where, where is that going to be in five years? Yeah. So our focus right now is scaling to become uh, the single biggest design build contractor in Southern California. And we're pretty much there is in San Diego. We want to be careful with our growth. We want to make sure that we've really mastered all of our processes, all the regulations, gotten really solid at what we're delivering before we try to expand. Um, But we do see ourselves doubling each year from here on out. Um, And we've built the foundation to do that. At times, you know, when we were first starting out, we might have, you know, in the beginning, we only had maybe five projects going. And it kind of felt like you were building um, a rocket launcher to like launch a paper airplane. (laughs) (laughs) This is so much harder to do all this in the project management software. We could just do it over email or call. And so having that vision of what it's going to need to support down the road was something that we've been able to do. So now it's sort of like, we've been laying this track. We're ready to like really see what, what we can do now that it's there. 
Um, so we're trying to scale in a responsible way so that we can you know, help more people get these ADUs built. There's a target of building 500,000 um, dwelling units in California over the next five years. Wow. So there's just massive demand. There's yeah. enough business for everybody. We're also trying to help other companies along the way. You know, we send um, clients and homeowners who we can't help over to other contractors or architects. So we still see ourselves as being, you know, a leader in this field, not only as far as, um, you know, volume and that sort of thing, but also just being an, a resource for other, for other people. Awesome. Good stuff. We're running out of time, but uh, how can our audience get to know uh, you a little bit more or connect with you and, and maybe have questions about Snap ADU? Our website is snapadu.com. We've got a lot of information there about our company, our team, ADUs in general, what it costs to build, plans. You can also check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Just search for SnapADU. Awesome. Great stuff. Well, I appreciate your time, Whitney. So we, we've had with us today, Whitney Hill, who's the co-founder and CEO of SnapADU. And uh, I took a lot of good notes here, a lot of good advice for anybody aspiring to be uh, a small business owner or a large business owner, because it sounds like uh, Whitney's on her way to really growing something really big there in California. That's awesome stuff. Thank you so much, Whitney, for being with us today. Thanks, Brian. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Good Life, Great Life, brought to you by Brian Highfield. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and stories. If you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business.